Welcome to BioIT World's Trends from the Trenches podcast, your insider's look at the science, technology, and executive trends driving the life sciences. I'm Allison Profit, editor of BioIT World. This episode is hosted by Stan Gloss, founder of BioTeam, a life sciences IT consulting company at the intersection of science, data, and technology. Joining Stan today is Chris Gibson of Recursion. The two explore how Recursion plans to decode biology and has built its company structure and organization with iterative learning in mind. Let's listen in. Chris, so thankful for you to be here today and to join me on my podcast. It's uh, been a long time coming. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity of visiting your your facility and speaking to a dozen of your staff back last April, and I didn't have a chance to meet you, and I was so looking forward to it. I guess you were traveling. So now we have the chance to finally meet and discuss Recursion Pharmaceutical, and uh, maybe we can kick it off by, uh, maybe you could share a little bit about your background. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. Um, so I am a bioengineer by training, hmm. which I guess means a jack of all trades and master of none and learned a lot about a lot of things, um, but never really focused in super deep in any one particular area of, of engineering. And I think that operating at the interface of lots of different fields is something I've always found really, really fascinating. It's where I get the most excited. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, Einstein talked about the concept of combinatorial play and the more different ways you approach a certain problem from many different angles, the more you can innovate and do some cool things. So as a founder and CEO of the company, when you were, I'd like to rewind back to when you were looking at the marketplace prior to opening up Recursion Pharmaceutical. What was happening or not happening in the market that kind of drove you to say, I got to find found this company? Well, I was a grad student when this started doing an MD-PhD. And we I was part of a really incredible lab. And the short version of the story is that after the lab had worked in a specific area of biology for over a decade, we thought we figured out a specific disease. And when we tested the hypothesis we generated, it turned out that we'd failed. Um, we actually mm. made an animal model of this disease worse when we treated it the way that we thought was going to make it better. Um, and that was a really formative moment for me. It's the humbling uh, of, of biology, I guess, which is common for all of us now who've been in the field for, for mm. any period of time. But it, in that failure, um, again, I kind of reverted back to operating at the interface and asked what other tools or techniques and other people in the lab asked what other tools or techniques we could use. And uh, about a year later, we had made a lot of progress on that disease using an approach of bringing together data, technology, and biology, uh, which will sound familiar to you. And bringing those mm -hmm. three things uh, together, uh, we saw an opportunity to try things in a different way. And Honestly, at the time, I didn't know what really was in the market or what wasn't. I just knew this seemed like a way that made sense from a first principles perspective. Mm -hmm. And so we went out and looked at the market. And sure enough, there wasn't much happening like this. And so that's when we decided to, to start the company. Yeah. So Jim Collins, in his book, Built uh, to Last, mm -hmm. said that people need to take on big, hairy, audacious goals. And again, I'm using some nice Silicon Valley uh terminology 
when I look at Recursion's mission, you seem to have taken on that principle of big, hairy, audacious goals. So maybe you can share with us what the mission is of Recursion and why did you take it on? Absolutely. So our mission is to decode biology to radically improve lives. And we mean not only the lives of patients who our medicines may one day affect, but their families, the lives of our employees, and the lives of the people in the communities in which we work. So it's a pretty broad mission, but it's all centered on decoding biology, which is a big, hairy, audacious goal, uh, especially given how complex it all is. And I guess my perspective on all of this is that if you set goals that are easily achieved, you default to using tools that have been used in the past. And the only way you can force yourself to use new tools is if you set goals that are very hard to achieve, if not seemingly impossible. Uh, and that trying to strive for mm -hmm. those kinds of goals, even if you fall short, increases the probability that you're going to take some risks to try things in a totally different way. Um, and I think that's been really important to the founding of the of the company and the way we've built the the business. And we failed a lot. I mean, we fail all the time. But I, I hope we've created a culture where that's part of the process to getting to something uh, that looks like success in the end. So what exactly are you decoding in biology? We're trying to understand how it all works at the level of human cells. Uh, we're trying to understand how every gene interacts with every other gene, every protein product of each gene interacts with every other protein product. And we want to get away from looking at biology, I wouldn't say with blinders on, but with with essentially with, uh, you know, a, a microscope, so to speak. And that's a dangerous analogy, and we'll get there. But the idea is we want to try and look at all of biology all at once and get away from, you know, the Western blot and the kind of unidimensional readout that the industry was built on. And to a lot of success, there's incredible drugs that were discovered using those sorts of tools. But you can never settle for the tools you have today. You always have to try and push towards better in the future. And for us, it meant using omics technologies, measuring everything, and then taking all the complex data that we're generating from mm -hmm. real experiments we do in our own highly automated wet lab with a bunch of robots and using machine learning and other techniques to help us sift through and make sense of all of that massive, massive data. And so we're really trying to just understand biology as a as a as a system. It's it's pretty simple, but to do that well is is really really complex. Mm. So I'm trying to you know go move on to like Mason Victor's who works with you. Mm -hmm. I interviewed him and and he had a an interesting twist on the difference between big pharma and you know nimble new pharma, and he said that. Big Pharma kind of looks at their data as the exhaust of the drug discovery process. Mm -hmm. But at re Recursion, you look at it as a renewable fuel. So help me understand from your perspective what that means and really what sets your way of doing things at Recursion apart from others. It's a great question. And I should just first say, we're partnered with multiple large pharma companies, and I think this this is changing. I think that was absolutely true for almost all of those companies five or six years ago, but I think many of them are adopting a more uh, progressive perspective on data. But mm -hmm. the reality is that, yeah, at Recursion, we see data, highly relatable, highly complex, well-generated data of biology and chemistry and the interaction of those 
as the as the core product that we build at the company, right? We we essentially have generated a laboratory whose job it is to generate massive quantities of this data. The byproduct of that data then can be new medicines that we take forward to, to patients. And I think it's just the inverse way of thinking, uh, as was described by Mason in the past in our industry. And, and I think this is this is even true. If you go back five or 10 years to one of the large pharma companies and you ask them, does all of your data aggregate into one place? So as a scientist working on one project, can she or he have access to all the other data across every other project at the company in a web interface essentially giving them instant access to all of those insights that have been generated elsewhere. And the technology really didn't exist or was very mm -hmm. new to make that happen five or 10 years ago. There's a new breed of companies like ours who, from the very beginning, built those sorts of technology into the fabric of the, of the company. And I think, honestly, it's hard to do that, but it is easier to do that than it is to take in a, a, a larger company that hasn't built with that kind of philosophy in the past and sort of re-maneuver it in the direction of making all that data uh, aggregate and make it accessible and open and transparent to the team. And so um, it's certainly a hard task, but I think we've got the a, a, a strategy that allows us to be a little bit quicker in terms of uh, this approach. Yeah. So when we when I spoke to some of your staff about the work that you do with AI and machine learning, one of the things I came away with was this notion of purpose-built data sets, mm -hmm. that no data set is just generated for the sake of doing research, that there's a specification that is laid out ahead of time, and basically your labs are like factories that are really building data sets to actually feed into the AI and machine learning models that you use. Is that, do I, did I get that right? Yeah, you did. I think if, if you imagine, um, you know, the typical drug discovery process, it's relatively bespoke. So people design different assays, different experiments for each disease they work on. And the philosophy traditionally has been, how do I get to the answer for this disease? And that there's nothing wrong with that approach. It's a very reasonable approach, a rational approach. The challenge, of course, when you're operating in a place as complex as biology, is that you're probably learning things along the way, that if you had a way to use those, not just in somebody's memory, but to systematize the use of all of those learnings across every other project you ever do, then you could actually move forward on all projects faster. And this is not typically a way that, that it's been done in our industry because most startups only worked on one or two programs at a time. So they didn't even have a need to try and learn from all the other projects they were working on. And large biopharmaceutical companies weren't set up in a way that made that that really easy. I think we and others in our space kind of are representing a new kind of platform company that's that's essentially saying, we have to learn not only about the, the, the question we're asking today, but we want to set ourselves up to ask a million more questions in the future. And so a very simple, pragmatic result of this is that when we run an experiment at recursion, there's probably 10 times more controls on any plate that we wow. run than if I, I was doing my PhD, where you have a small number of positive and negative controls, because we're not just trying to answer the question for that experiment. We're trying to answer questions for that experiment and any other one we could possibly want to do in the future. And so these are the kind of pragmatic effects of taking this philosophical approach, and we measure everything. So rather than take a microscopy image and stain each cell for something 
specific to that disease. Right. We take millions of microscopy images every week and we stain every cell in every experiment for every disease we work on the exact same way so that we can train our machine learning models, not just to recognize, oh, here's a potential treatment for disease X, but actually they can start to recognize broad patterns across the entire genome, hundreds of thousands or millions of molecules. And that's what makes us really excited. It should be a self-improving process over time. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because you kind of have turned hypothesis-driven research around a little bit, whereas sometimes people read papers and come up with a hypothesis and then go off and get the data. It sounds like you've kind of, you're leading with the data in that's terms right. of, so tell us, tell me a little bit about that. Because so that's we call interesting. It, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a backwards approach in that way. We call it mapping and navigating. So rather than head off, you know, into the wilderness of biology and say, I'm going to figure out how to get to some point using only what I can see around me, we spend the incredible amount, incredible amount of effort up front to basically go map all of the wilderness of biology as much as we can. And what that allows our team to do is actually sit at a web app and to ask questions. We still read papers. We still read the literature. We still look at large genomic scale studies and oncology and other places. But we use those data to ask where on the map should we go? And then when we look at our map of biology, we ask, if I were at this point, how would I best navigate to some place of health? How would I move from this disease to healthy using this map? And the map helps us generate the hypothesis. And what's nice about that is that because biology is so complex, when you pull out from this very kind of myopic view of one disease at a time, you start to see not only the individual sort of you know, a uh, river valley that you're in, but you actually start to see the broader topology of the biology around you. You're not only in a river valley, you're on a plateau that's part of a mountain range. And, you know, I'm, this is quite an analogy, but you get the idea. When you zoom out, you can get more of a macroscopic view of what's around you. And that mm -hmm. can actually help you see that there could be a shorter or better path between two points of biology. That's the idea, at least. Mm -hmm. And it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what we're building towards is the Google Maps of, of drug discovery. Wow, that's that's an amazing concept. You know, um, when I looked at your um, secure SEC filing, the S1 filing, and mm -hmm. I encourage any of my um, listeners to go out and Google that for recursion pharmaceutical, I think it's on page 128 where you describe your business. It is a wealth of understanding um, how you actually put recursion together. There was a slide that um, I really kind of liked, which was looking at how you've kind of transformed the uh, funnel-shaped discovery model into a T-shaped model. Can you can you describe that image a little bit for us? Absolutely. So I think anyone in this field understands how hard drug discovery is. And we start with lots of different projects and programs. And at every step of the process, as we take them forward to the clinic, and then even in the clinic, there's a little bit of attrition. And so what we've asked is, how could you, if you could design the perfect shape of this funnel, what would it look like? And the, the reality is it would look like a T where you explore all of biology and chemistry broadly. And you say, this is the medicine that's going to make a difference for this patient population. And you take it all the way to the market without any failure. And that starts to look like a T. Now, of course, that's impossible to achieve. We're just trying to shape our funnel more like a T over time. And what that requires is moving failure earlier in the process. So for mm -hmm. example, 
from the very, very beginning of a project, could I take some property of the chemical structure of a molecule and predict toxicity from it? If I could do that, I could actually predict a failure of toxicity that could happen three or four years into our mm -hmm. work at the very, very beginning. And I could actually pick a different molecule as a starting point. And I think that's the philosophical framework that we're trying to move towards. One example of hundreds of ways that you can move failure earlier to reduce the amount of attrition later in the, in the process when it's expensive and time consuming. Mm. So one of the um, things that was in the S1 document that caught my attention and I think this aligns with your product-centric approach to things. You describe your process as the recursion OS. So what is the recursion OS and what's the benefit of the, that? Yeah, the recursion operating system, the recursion OS is essentially our people, our processes, our technology and tools that we've all put together to try and reimagine the way that drugs are discovered. And I think you could imagine this as, you know, a, an analogy of building cars. Uh, a colleague of mine at another company in the space uses this analogy a lot, a lot, and I like it. You know, back before Ford, there were thousands of car makers in the industry, and each mm. one built every car by hand. And they were all very skilled, or I'm sure most of them were, uh, just like th uh, just like our drug discovery industry today. But eventually, as we moved into this, uh, uh, essentially the, the manufacturing process of a line with a more automated manufacturing process industrialized the process, we were able to essentially drastically change the efficiency of the automotive energy uh, industry. And I think that's exactly what we're trying to do here in the drug discovery industry is essentially move towards an automated industrialized process. And it's not just the people, it's not just the tools or technology, it's all of it together that makes the recursion OS and helps us try and do things in a more efficient way. So what are the biggest challenges that you see that you're facing on a day-to-day -day basis still? It sounds like you're doing great work, but the, you got to still have some things, challenges that you're facing. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the process of discovering a medicine and taking it all the way to patients is long. And we hope to innovate across many of those steps. But the reality is resources are constrained and you have to sort of limit where your focus is. And so we've really focused on drug discovery. We're now also really focused on automating and digitizing chemistry, but we haven't done as much work, for example, in clinical trial design or, or ways to run clinical trials. The good news is there are a whole host of other companies, both large and small, who've made tremendous progress in innovating in that space. And so Ultimately, I think what will happen is that our whole industry will see successes and failures of approaches across the entire process. And I guess the companies that will be most successful in really rethinking this space won't have this invented here mindset that they have to do everything themselves. They'll actually partner to try and bring all of the best ideas together into one process, one stack. And I hope that's the kind of philosophy that we take at Recursion. Yeah, that that aligns very nicely with the book Goliath's Re, uh, Revenge by Scott Snyder, mm -hmm. in that he discusses the Goliaths of the big established companies in the world having to work in partnership with the Davids mm -hmm. in terms of creating a network, an eco, a both internal ecosystem that they work in and an integrated external network. I mean, you think about companies like Procter & Gamble, 
a, a very high percentage, maybe 30, 40% of their products are developed by partners who have ideas and designs that they bring together and bring to market. So I, I see this happening quite a bit in um, the life sciences and pharma space. So what results have you been able to achieve in your short uh, run at it right now that you that you can share with us? Sure. What, what I can share is that we currently have five programs that are at the clinical stage. Three of those are in phase two or phase two, three trials. A fourth one is about to start a phase two trial. And a fifth one is in the middle of a phase one. So we've had some success in building a pipeline. We've got dozens of additional programs coming along behind those. Um, the second thing I'd point to is we've partnered with some fantastic Goliaths. And from our perspective, it's Goliath and David together that are going to mm -hmm. change the industry. And so we're partnered with Bayer in the space of fibrosis and then signed a very extensive collaboration with Roche and Genentech for a decades-long push in neuroscience, uh, really the whole of neuroscience with our colleagues there and a single oncology mm. indication. So those partnerships, we can't share details, but certainly we're working, as you can imagine, on a whole bunch of exciting stuff with our partners. And the last thing I'd point to that I see as a success, although we don't talk about it in kind of the program and the partnership side, is the culture we've created, a culture where we bring together chemists, biologists, data scientists, software engineers, and we're mm -hmm. sort of learning a new language and building a new language together that I think will be reflective of the kind of language that's required in our industry over the next couple of decades so that all of us can make the best use of not only data science and technology, but all the learnings of biology and chemistry and all the fields that contribute to discovering new medicines. Yeah. So that was another thing that jumped out at me when on the visit was the culture. So I did learn a new term, which I hadn't heard before, which was a recursion art. So somebody who works at recursion, they, they, right. everybody recur calls them. But there was another phrase that I heard that maybe you can help um, describe. This concept, everybody mentioned this concept of one recursion. Mm as part of your culture. Maybe you could kind of tell everybody what what's that? Well, I think it is not unique to us. I think most companies or entities want this, but it's the idea of optimizing for the whole. And and what we mean is that we want people to be thinking about what's the what's the way we get a medicine to patients as quick as we can. And sometimes that means that we have to make really hard decisions. We have to say, mm -hmm. you know, this particular program is, is not one that we're going to be able to take forward so we can put the resources into these other three. And I think we try to frame things in that way, not only in the way we make decisions on individual programs, but even things like our budget or our hiring. We don't mm. give an allocation of this team has this budget, this team has this budget, this team can hire this many people. We know what we expect to spend in a year, roughly. We know how many people we expect to be able to hire in a year. And we actually have a group of leaders from across all the functions of the organization who come together and they make trade-off decisions together in real time. Because there's this idea, you know, in, in larger companies, I think it's hard to do it any other way where everything is kind of planned out on a yearly cadence. But the reality is you get new data all the time. And so if you create a culture where people want to optimize for the whole, you give them transparency and context, they can make often the very best decision for the entity as a whole uh, if you trust them to do that. And so that's kind of what our one recursion mindset is, is optimizing for the whole and the progress of, of the entire mission. That's fantastic. So I want to kind of wrap, wrap a little bit 
And I'd like to get your advice. You were a young entrepreneur and scientist at one point. You know, what advice would you give somebody who's like you coming up through the scientific ranks? What advice would you give them about going after your dream, doing what you just did? I'd give them two pieces of advice. One is um, to always try to understand all of the perspectives, as many as you can, all of the different kind of technologies that might be important for you. So operate at the interface. The more you can do that, I think the more likely you are to be successful. And the second thing that I would tell them is when you're thinking about all the risks of doing something, always make sure you very specifically think about all the risks of not doing it too. I think too frequently as humans, we think about the risks of doing a thing. We don't often think about the risks of not doing the thing. And I think when you weigh those both out, oftentimes you'll come to a different decision than if you only think about the risks of doing it. So uh, now, now you got me interest up here. So tell me about your answer to the not doing things. And when you looked at recursion, what was your not doing it answer? The reality was that I thought that there was a small chance, like a 1% chance that I could have not done something that could have led to medicines that could affect millions or, or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of people. Right. And certainly the probability was low, but that felt like an extraordinary responsibility to not do that. And when I looked at the risks of taking the leap and leaving medical school to start the company, I knew that I could always come back to medical school. Mm -hmm. I was really lucky. My wife was a physician already. So I could like, you know, not pay myself for a couple of years and we'd probably be, we could, you know, be okay. And so when you weighed these things, basically it was the fear of failure. I could try this thing and it could fail versus the fear of not trying the thing and always wondering what impact we could have made if we'd done it. And when you weigh those two things together, it became pretty easy um, to make the decision to go for it. The worst that could happen is that we could fail. Uh, and that felt like a really easy opportunity to take. That's a great answer, Chris. Thank you so much today for sharing your insights on recursion. And um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Stan. It's been a lot of fun. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to BioIT World's Trends from the Trenches podcast. 